The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you want to mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you want to jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Hello, this is Matt Minnick from Cincy Jungle here for Chalk Talk. Today, I've got a great guest. We are in the midst of draft season, which means we are all busy working on our mock drafts. And uh, today, we've got an expert in mock drafts, Benjamin Robinson from Grinding the Mocks. Benjamin, how are you doing today? Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, appreciate you joining us. Uh, so if you could talk to us a little bit about your website and kind of what the uh, the methodology behind, uh, behind it is. Yeah, so Grinding the Mocks is a, a project that I've been working on for the past few years um, that basically takes kind of an analytical view of the NFL draft by analyzing mock drafts as data. Um, and this kind of all began uh, in the um, basically during the night of the 2018 draft, you know, the Baker Mayfield draft, the Billy Price draft for the Bengals. Um, and I went to college in Pittsburgh, and so I was hanging out with one of my best college friends. He's a huge Steelers fan, and we love watching the draft together because it's something where we can kind of be on equal uh, equal footing uh, that night because um, everyone, for the most part, should feel like a winner when their team is, is drafting. Um, and we were watching the, the analysts, and they were saying that uh, there was some player that was selected and, and that it was a reach. Um, or they were saying, you know, hey, this player got selected, and that's a huge value. And so I asked him, my buddy, you know, how do we know that that's actually a reach if we really don't know where a player is expected to go? And so analysts, you know, have their big boards, but that's just one big board. Um, and so I was, I was thinking, and I thought, well, mock drafts, if you could, someone could kind of wrangle them all together, you know, that could be quite a thing. Um, and I looked around to see if this had kind of already existed out in the world, and it didn't. And so um, using mock drafts from the 2018 draft, I built kind of a proof of concept, and I looked at some of the results, and I thought, this is really interesting, and there's a lot of things that, that we can learn from analyzing mock drafts about the whole entire draft process in addition to potentially trying to also see what kind of predictive value mock drafts have in predicting the draft. Um, so it's been a really fun journey to be on, and I call it grinding the mocks because, um, as you know, people who watch film on players are often grinding the tape. And I'm not a film guy, but I thought it'd be fun to call it grinding the mocks because sometimes <laughs> it does feel like a little bit of a grind. I got you. Yeah, yeah that, that's awesome. And, and uh, you know, if you Everybody should definitely uh, follow Benjamin on Twitter. Uh, he puts out some really cool graphics, um, and and lots of times in, in conversations about a about a draft pick, he'll just kind of kind of pop in with, "Hey, hey, this is uh, this is how uh, his draft position has changed over time." So, uh, some really interesting stuff. Great follow. What, what is your Twitter handle? Yeah, so I'm at b e n j underscore Robinson two. You know, very uh, yeah. very easy to remember. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, definitely uh, give him a follow there. So uh, so how has it panned out over the last couple of years? What uh, what type of external validity does uh, does your site and your your uh, sequence seem to have? Yeah. So 
you know, one of the things that I first wanted to see when I, you know, calculated all these different players' expected draft position, that's what I call the, the metric, expected draft position. Sometimes I call it EDP. And, you know, I looked at them and I said, well, hey, let's look at, at the players' player-by-player player ranking of, of expected draft position and let's look at how it kind of relates to actual draft position because that's something I thought would be really interesting. And I didn't expect uh, the expected draft position to exactly explain 100% of um, actual draft position, though it does occasionally hit on players directly. And so what I did was I looked at kind of how much of the differences in the, we call it variation in statistics, of the variation in the expected draft position how much of it um, explains actual draft position. And it turns out that when you, when you do a little bit of the math, about 80% of the variation in actual draft positions is explained by expected draft position, really the very basic, um, met, a very basic metric. Um, hmm. And so I, I found this to be really interesting. And, you know, in the world of, like, the draft community, specifically with the huge focus on the first round, um, it doesn't always look really good. And so if you try to predict the first round of the draft, um, you know, with each player, um, just lining up their expected draft position, you'll probably end up being disappointed in some way because mock drafters can sometimes, you know, be a little lazy. And so a lot of the times we know that there's lots of trades in the NFL draft, and we don't always do a good job of projecting how many trades there are going to be. There's some teams that you think aren't going to make trades that do make trades and teams that you expect to make trades that don't. Um, and so you're probably never going to be exactly right. But to me, the more important thing is finding the sweet spot where we can look at a range of expected outcomes for a player and not view draft the draft as a zero-sum game. Like either you got the, the prediction right or wrong. And so to me, I'm trying to kind of advance the conversation in an analytical way about how we view the draft um, just few through through data, and people can be kind of very defensive. But for the most part, I think people also realize that every player, just like uh, in the draft, has just like in their career, has a range of expected outcomes. So, for example, Joe Burrow has uh, a whole range of expected of outcomes that we could see in his career that are dependent on a whole lot of things, but also are, are dependent on quite a bit of his fundamentals, which are very strong. So, just like players can have a whole range of outcomes for their career, like a player could be Anyway, from a, anywhere from a, a, a strong starter to a pro bowler. Um, players also have, you know, if we did the draft like 100 times or something like that, we would expect the player to go anywhere between, you know, a certain draft position and another draft position. And so the draft hmm. only happens once. And so, but with mock drafts, we have, you know, thousands of shots to look at what are players' outcomes, and then we can use statistics to kind of get a sense of where they might end up. So to me... External validity, you know, we're never going to, I don't think we're ever going to predict the draft with 100% accuracy, and if so, the draft would be really boring. Um, so to me, the fact that we 20% of the draft can't be explained by mock drafts alone is not a surprise to me. Uh, and so it's really, really interesting to follow along and say, hey, you know, this player got drafted above expectation. What can we learn from that when we kind of combine his um, situation with a bunch of other players? What does that say about positions? What does that say yeah. about value in certain rounds of the draft? What does that say about specific teams? Um, so yeah, it's interesting, kind of too, because, interesting. yeah, I mean, with, with mock drafts, it, it, like you were saying, it gives you so much data, whereas if you were just trying to examine the NFL draft for itself, it only happens once a year. Every year it's a new group of players. Every year the order changes. Every year everybody's coming in with a different roster. Uh, so you can't, you know, to try and – you know, generalize what happens in the draft from looking at, you know, the draft over the last 15 years, it, it, it's, it, it's difficult to take anything from that because every year all those, all those factors change. Uh, so, yeah, having the mock drafts, I mean, that, that, that makes a lot of sense, you know, that it, that it gives you enough data to actually make it, uh, you know, make some conclusions that, you can, you know, take the next step and, and can, you know, look at it from a predictive model where I think when you, when you only have, uh, when, when every time you do the test, you know, or, or the draft, the actual draft, all of the, uh, all the players, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm talking about teams too, but all the players uh, change, all the factors change in it. 
um, you know, having these mock drafts allows you to, you know, be a lot more scientific with it. That uh, makes a lot of sense to me. So we talk about, and, and, and you know, I mentioned how uh, you have, uh, you know, you have charts and, and they're on your website. Like I said, you'll tweet them out sometimes too. It shows how average draft position of players changes over time. Um, who are some of the big movers at the combine and, you know, would you, are, are we missing out on big movers this year uh, with the limited amount of senior days uh, that we got, or pro days, excuse me, that we got? Yeah, so the combine is really interesting, and um, I had a similar kind of question that I tried to use some of my data to answer. Um, and, the, and so I wrote a blog post, and it's actually my, my pinned tweet on my, uh, my Twitter account. And I wanted to see was, and uh, you had Kent Lee Platty on um, a while back, right, to talk about mm-hmm. relative athletic scores. So, so what I did was I looked at and I said, hey, let's try to get an, an objective measure of athletic performance. And so Kent has done a really nice job with that. So I, I got some of the data on players' relative athletic scores just from the combine. So if they worked out on the combine, what was their relative athletic score? And I looked two weeks before and two weeks after the combine for each of the past three years, so the, the years that I have data on. Um, and, you know, what I saw was really interesting was that, you know, for the most part, um, players who um, have uh, kind of what are viewed as elite athleticism, they get, they, get, <laughs> they get the benefit, right? So if you have an elite combine, uh, you, it's associated with positive changes um, pre- and post-combine in terms of average draft position. Um, and so the, the elite athletes at this year's combine that, that really kind of stood out in the data are players, some of which we've thought of, heard about quite a bit, when it comes to the Bengals. Um, Jeremy Chin had the biggest move from the safety from Southern Illinois. Um, mm-hmm. Ezra Cleveland, offensive tackle from Boise State. Uh, Denzel Mims, wide receiver from Baylor. And then a couple other guys, Reggie Robinson, who's a cornerback from Tulsa, who's probably more of a late-round guy, but he's like, I think, six foot or something like that, and ran a 4-4-4, which is, you know, really great for his size. And I think it, if you look, just looked at his weight, you would expect him to run like a 4-5 or something like that. And so running a 4-4 at his size is huge. And uh, I think he'll be one of two players from Tulsa who will potentially get drafted this year, along with Travis Gibson, who's a defensive end. And then there was another mm-hmm. one, Logan Wilson, a linebacker from Wyoming, who actually only had an above-average combine, but somehow you know, he snuck into this top five of guys who had elite combines. And so you know, for the most part, if we, I think it's kind of an expectations game. So, so for some of these guys like Jeremy Chin, we didn't really know how athletic he was because he plays for Southern Illinois. And so it's hard to tell, given his level of competition, how athletic he actually is. You know, we had the senior bowl, and that's nice, but we, now we have actual testing numbers. And it's the same deal with Ezra Cleveland yeah. and Denzel Mims, where I think the expectation game was they're good players, but are they good athletes? And so, um, for example, someone who had an amazing combine like Henry Ruggs, their draft stock probably doesn't change all that much, relatively speaking, because we already knew Henry Ruggs was fast, and now it's just confirmed. Sure. So mock drafts, yeah. you're trying not to double count things for the most part. So if it's new information, I believe that um, if you have an idea that a player, like for example Denzel Mims, maybe you think he's an athlete, but maybe not that athletic, and then suddenly he runs like a four three nine, that changes your mind, um, and that changes people's average draft position when you look two weeks before or two weeks after the combine. Yeah, I think, I think that's interesting, too, because with these guys, uh, you know, we're, we're not talking about schools that you, you see on TV every weekend. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, Baylor, uh, Boise State, you know, competitive teams, you know, uh, you know well-known in, in, in big conference teams. Uh, but, you know, when you're looking at Tulsa and Southern Illinois, like, these are guys that you're you're not seeing every Saturday, uh, so you know a lot of that information. You know, many people. You know, uh, obviously the people that are watching the film are watching the film, but yeah, you know, some people aren't getting the, to to the Tulsa film right away. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, as we've talked about, uh, we can talk about variation in expected draft position. And I know there are some jokers out there that have the, the Dolphins somehow getting uh, Joe Burrow and they have the Bengals taking Chase Young. But I think we know who the Bengals are taking at number one. Uh, 
33 is a different, uh, a different story. Uh, so at 33, um, you know, if, we'll take a, take it through a, a few different kind of scenarios here. Um, Patrick Queen, Kenneth Murray, and I'll throw in Zach Bond too, even though he's, a, he's truly an edge. Uh, but he's a guy that, you know, could be, could potentially play linebacker. You know, we won't get into the value of that compared to playing edge, but, uh, those three guys, all popular uh, in the Bengals uh, fandom, uh, and all really have rising draft stock. Uh, so, with those three, it, what are the odds that we're gonna we're gonna have a shot at one of them uh, in the second round? So, yeah, you're right that that Bond is kind of his own. He's not definitely your off-ball linebacker, while Murray and Queen have more of those roles. And so Murray, I have a little bit above Queen in terms of expected draft position, but they're both in the the, the 20s, like the early to mid-20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would, I would not expect them to fall into the, the 33rd pick. And I'm not an advocate of using the limited draft capital that the Bengals do have to trade up in the first round. And they, they really have never done that, I think, in recent memory, trading into the first round. Um, They've had, you know, the, they had that draft where they drafted Drake Kirkpatrick, who they, you know, just released today, and Kevin Zeitler, but those were picks that they got from the Raiders for Carson Palmer. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't view Murray and Queen as likely to be around then. Um, and so to me, Bond is definitely, there's a strong chance, I think, that he's, uh, at, at this present state, that he's available okay. at 33. Um, I think that his, his ex- expectation is, you know, early second round, but he could sneak into the, the late first round. I just think that it's an, it'll be a numbers game. Um, there's going to be a good number of offensive tackles in the first round. There's going to be a good number of wide receivers in the first round. There's going to be a good number of cornerbacks in the first round, edge rushers, cornerbacks. And so I think in terms of a numbers game, Bond is very talented for sure. And second round mm-hmm. is nothing to scoff at. But I, have a, I've, I think that there's a decent chance that uh, of those three that he's the one who's likely available. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, there's definitely a lot of teams as you get into the twenties that could use a linebacker, but there are a couple of teams in particular, uh, such as the Titans, the, the Ravens, uh, you know, even the, you could even say the Patriots where you could see bond being a pretty good fit. So, um, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I was, I was thinking there was a good chance he was going to go around one, but, but you think he might be a possibility on, on, uh, on day two. That's awesome. Uh, how about, how about receiver? Uh, I think Denzel Mims, who you mentioned before, uh, very popular uh, with Bengals fans. He and I'm, and I'm sure, as uh, you can see on your website, uh, <laughs> how uh, how drastically his draft, draft stock has risen uh, after the season. Uh, and then uh, J- uh, Justin Jefferson, uh, former uh, teammate of Joe Burrow, uh, is another person who is very popular to match to the Bengals. Uh, but he had a, a really good combine. He was one that, that surprised me with, with how uh, fast he was at the combine. Um, how about those uh, two receivers? What, what do you think is, are the odds that one of them makes it uh, into round two? Yeah, so this is the danger of kind of, quote-unquote, falling, falling in love with a prospect, <laughs> is that sometimes over the process, the other people are loving them too. And I think that's what's happened with Mims and Jefferson. Uh, I think yeah. that they both, like, if you had asked me, like, a, maybe a month ago, um, you know, what are the, do we think that Jefferson and Mims were good options for the Bengals at 33? I would say, yeah. Uh, but now, uh, you know, I, I find Jefferson as my wide receiver four and Mims as my wide receiver five, and I think that I'll probably switch by the time the, the draft comes. And so right mm-hmm. now I have, you know, five um, wide receivers with, I think, like, solid first round 
and then there's you know a couple other guys that could find their way um, in. So there's like five to seven wide receivers potentially in the first round, and I think that the ones that are falling out of the first round potentially, who are trending downward, um, mm-hmm. are Key Higgins and Lavisca Chenault. So Clemson wide receiver Higgins in Colorado, you know, wide mm-hmm. receiver slash offensive weapon uh, Chenault. And so those are the more likely, I find, options for the Bengals at 33 than Mims, who's had this dramatic rise. Like I mentioned him as one of my top combine performers in terms of the, the difference between um, average draft position pre- and post-combine. And Jefferson, you're right, had a really nice combine too. Um, he's a slot receiver, so he's a little bit different than some of the other wide receivers that are, that are in the first round. But I, I think that there's a strong chance that he's in there on the, on the top of the season he had as well as the combine. So I hate to be the bearer of bad news for people who are fans of Denzel Mims. I am too, um, and I would not expect him to be around when the, when the Bengals select at 33. Now you mentioned a couple guys there. Is, is Jalen Rigor, or Rigor, excuse me, uh, is he uh, from Texas Christian, is he one of those guys that uh, you're expecting to go around one as well? Uh, round two. Yeah. Okay. So the, the, players that I, the, the wide receivers that I expect in, in round one are C.B. Lamb from Oklahoma, Henry mm-hmm. Ruggs from Alabama, and this is not in any order, Henry Ruggs sure. from Alabama, Jerry Judy from Alabama, um, Jefferson and Mims, and then potentially it's Higgins uh, and, and Chenault. But Rager, I, oh, okay, I find, okay. yeah. Rager I, thought they were, I, thought, I thought they were dropping out of that seven. They're still part of that seven. Yeah, okay, so they're still part of that seven, but they could drop out. Um, they could definitely see themselves. I can see them dropping out. But, but for now, I, I think that those are the seven that I think could be first-rounders for sure. Okay. All right, so regular uh, in the conversation at 33, then. That's, that, yeah. that's good. He's got, he's got a lot of fans as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But, of course, a lot of Bengals fans would, would prefer, uh, after bringing in the franchise uh, with the first overall pick, uh, to beef up, beef up the offensive line. Uh, so there are some guys who I have definitely seen projected in the first round, uh, but who could, uh, who could be there. Um, you know, a couple of guards, uh, Cesar Ruiz and uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, another LSU player. We'll talk about a lot of those guys. Uh, and then uh, from the tackle position, uh, Andrew Thomas and I'll throw in Josh Jones as well as being kind of a fringe, uh, you know, po- possibility in round one. Uh, where, where are you seeing those guys falling? And, and do you think uh, any of those guys are, are likely to be around in round two? So, yeah, Thomas started off the process as the top offensive tackle um, and throughout the process yeah. has kind of been uh, kind of been passed over a little bit by some of Yeah, there of were people that wanted the Bengals to take him instead of Burrow, like like during the season before the draft was finally like, oh, no, they need yeah, a tackle. Sure. And, 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 yeah, now he's, uh, he's like OT4 on, I would say, most boards that I've seen. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, That's a surprise for me, for sure, because um, he had a pretty – he had a very good season. Um, and when you look at his pro football focus numbers, he's one of the best pass blocking tackles in college football. Um, so it's a surprise, but, you know, he, he tested pretty well. He has the length. And so um, offensive tackle four is where I have him as well. And I, I still view him as a top 15 kind of player. Um, so he's taken a, a hit from top five, but I still don't mm-hmm. think the Bengals will have a shot at him. And Josh Jones is sort of a similar thing. And you know how I mentioned that, you know, the, the, there's this big top four, which is Thomas, and then and not in any order, but Tristan Wirfs, Mackay Becton, and Jedrick Wells. Mm-hmm. And so after those guys go, I think that potentially those guys go in the top 15, then there's other teams that might want tackles, and that's what elevates the value of a Josh Jones. It elevates the value of an Ezra Cleveland. Um, and so to me, the, I don't think that one of those top, you know, six tackles um, will be around at 33 most likely. Cleveland's stock is up. Um, Josh Jones' stock is, is pretty steady in the first round. But I think, like you were mentioning, that Cesar Ruiz is very likely to be available uh, potentially uh, at 33. And, uh, and Cushenberry. Um, Cushenberry is more like a mid-second-round player. Um, Ruiz is more of like a late-first-early um, second-round player. It's a pretty weak uh, interior offensive line class this year. Um, and so... Uh, but not weak enough that, like, the, the scarcity is pushing up value. Um, so Ruiz potentially available at 33. Cushenberry also. I think Cushenberry has a better chance of being available at 33 than Ruiz. 
but if offensive uh, line is, is your jam, those could be some guys that are, are definitely in the picture. You know, I think Ruiz and, and Bond are both solid uh, projections to be there at 33. So not really necessarily a uh, position of need uh, with recent acquisitions they've made, but uh, Joe Gladney, uh, another Texas Christian uh, player, cornerback, uh, is uh, is somebody that is has been popular to to mock to the Bengals. Um, now, I, I think he's uh, he might be CB two to some people. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, the people that like him like him a lot, but uh, but he you know he's he's on the shorter side, which you know can I well, you tell me, but I, I believe can push some guys down sometimes. Uh, where, where does Joe Gladney fall? Do you, do you think there's any chance he makes it to day two? Yeah, I think there's a really strong chance uh, day two, early day two. He's the cornerback five by expected draft position. You know, oh, wow. Okuda okay. is, is yeah. So Okuda is very high. You know, I think it, it. I don't have it off the top of my head, but I think it probably goes. You know, Okuda. Um, Definitely Henderson. CJ, yeah, C.J. Henderson. Uh, you know, uh, Trevon Diggs from Alabama is in there. Um, and then I, I think A.J. Terrell is in there. Okay. And then, okay. Or Christian Fulton. Sorry, Christian Fulton, then Gladney, mm. and then Terrell. Um, and so okay. Gladney is in, the, is in the 30s as well. So I project, you know, he could be a, a, a first-rounder, depending on how many cornerbacks go. But right mm. now I'd, I'd, I'd say more likely early second round. Um, and, okay. you know, if you believe the, the research from Pro Football Focus, you know, you can't have enough cornerbacks, especially even slot cornerbacks, which is a potentially undervalued position, um, in the NFL, mm-hmm. and the draft is all about getting uh, underpriced assets in valuable positions. And so if the Bengals drafted, you know, a quarterback with one, which I think they'll do, that's a very valuable asset, and having a cornerback um, at, at 33 is also a very valuable asset too. Yeah, I was actually just listening to uh, uh, another podcast. I don't want to say the wrong name, uh, but it's uh, with, uh, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks, and they were talking about how, Basically, if you want an offensive tackle or you want uh, a corner, you better do it in the first two days because what's going to be left at the end of the first two days, it, you know, like you're, you're highly unlikely to find anybody that's going to be a contributor for you. Um, where, you know, I, I think we, we kind of touched on it. Uh, you, I mean, you had really touched on it with, with tackles. Uh, but, you know, you look at guards and you can find guards on day three that are going to come in and start for you. Uh, you know, uh, early, early on. So, uh, you know, definitely two premier positions and, you know, positions that, that go. And even with the depth, you know, this has been mentioned as a, as a good corner class. Um, you know, if you, if you want one, you better get one in the first two days. Uh, you know, I, th- I think there's going to be some pretty flawed guys that are <laughs> left over after that. Um, let's actually uh, let's stick with corners for a minute. Let's let's go to the third round. Let's talk about pick 65. Uh, and you mentioned slot corner being very undervalued. Uh, so one guy who I'm uh, you know who who was talked about uh, as like a, a round two pick uh, and projected as a slot guy prior to uh, uh, I he broke his foot. Uh, and uh, um, being injured for the year was Bryce Hall. Uh, where is Hall landing uh, after missing about half the season with, with the injury and the fact that he's not able to, you know, to visit teams and, and do medicals in their facility? Uh, where's, where's Hall coming in? Yeah, so Bryce Hall had a, a very bad uh, injury for sure. Um, and, you know, those guys – I think their, their rally gets pushed down, I mean, obviously because past injury is, is sometimes predictive of future injury, but then also they may not be early contributors right away. Um, and mm-hmm. so Hall, um, I think, will definitely be available at 33. And there's actually, I think, maybe a decent chance that he's available um, in early round three. Um, but sometimes I think the, the, the mock draft community sometimes tends to underappreciate the importance. I mean, obviously they're not privy to – to individual like medical report information, um, mm-hmm. so you know they, it's kind of unfair in some ways. The can't the fans um, and the draft community for the most part only can work with the, the data that we have. Um, so right sure. now, you know he's the CB, he's cornerback ten for me, like late second, early third. So he could be there maybe at sixty five, possible. And how, 
And we talked about Akuda. Obviously, he's going to be long gone before the Bengals get a, a chance at him. But uh, Damon Arnett from Ohio State, is he, is he a guy that could slip into the third as well? You know, I'd be surprised. Uh, he's my cornerback nine. So there's kind of a big drop-off between Arnett and, and Hall um, in terms of the cornerbacks. So he's like mid-second round. So to me, unless the Bengals were trading up in the second round, I don't think they would get him. So if they wanted him really badly, they'd probably have to pick him at 33, and I, I, would, I wouldn't be necessarily against it, um, for sure. Um, I wouldn't necessarily be for it either because, you know, I'm a fan of maximizing, you know, the efficiency of your, mm-hmm. your overall draft picks. And, you know, this definitely isn't a Drew Sample situation um, like last year where I viewed that as one of, like, the, probably the bigger reaches in the data that I have for the past few years. Yeah. Did, 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 Drew, Sample, as, did Drew Sample crash your website? <laughs> like you, <laughs> No. You put his data in and it blew up and started smoking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he was like a fourth or fifth round guy in the data last year. Um, and so to me, um, you know, one of the things that we've also learned from some of the PFF you know, research is that, you know, the, the guy drafted before or after you for the most part isn't that much different. And so to me, you know, last year I was kind of disappointed because the, it's not an efficient use of limited draft resources. So I would be fine with taking Arnett at 33 because – He's not going to be there probably at, at round three, you know, as long as they're mm-hmm. not, you know, taking, you know, a player that goes much later than that or another tight end. Like, God, we don't need another tight end. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. So, um, all right, well, that brings us back to the offensive line. So as we get into the third round, like we said, there's probably going to be a – there's definitely going to be a run in round one at tackle. Uh, and I would say it's probably likely in round two as well. You got guys like uh, Lucas Nyang, uh, Austin Jackson, Prince Tegawanago, uh, Ezra Cleveland, who you mentioned before. Um, if they if they're going for a tackle, like we mentioned, that's the spot that they're definitely not going to be able to get past round three. Uh, who of those guys do you think makes it to round three? So the guys that I have as being kind of late round two, early round three. Um, so the guy that, that I don't think will make it to round three um, is one that you didn't mention, Isaiah Wilson, who's the other tackle from Georgia. Okay. Um, right now mm-hmm. I have him like mid to late sec- like second round, but that could be early third because the Bengals' third round pick is basically a late second round pick. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's a similar deal. Um, like Wino- Prince Tico Winogo from Auburn and Lucas Niang, like those guys I think are both – shots to be there, but they're both, I think because of that, they're both developmental guys. Niang mm-hmm. has, has been hurt um, this past year, and he, he plays through it. You know, God bless him. Uh, but, but, yeah, so there's that. And then Winogo is also developmental as well at Auburn. And, in fact, the pro football focus guys, who I'm a big fan of, if you can't tell, really like Jack Driscoll, yeah. who's a, a much later uh, offensive lineman that you can get in later than the second, later than the third round probably maybe. Um, mm. But, yeah, so, so Niang and, and Winogo are potentially – guys that are available as offensive tackles and maybe Isaiah Wilson, but I think more likely it'd be either Winogo or Niang. And, um, you know, I know Bengals fans have been burned in the draft. You know, I was really <laughs> not as – I know Joe, Joe Goodbury was not a huge fan of, uh, you know, Cedric Abuehi, and I don't know as much about his opinion on Jake Fisher, but, you know, that really kind of failed pretty miserably. Um, I'm willing yeah. to give, um, you know, the offensive line coach, you know, a chance a little bit. Um, uh, so – you know, for the most part, the question is, if you're happy with the pick, is do you trust the coaching staff? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, when, when the Bengals were good, I trusted Paul Alexander, uh, except for that. <laughs> After that, I couldn't trust him anymore. Um, but, yeah, offensive tackle, those two guys could definitely be there early early round three, late round two. Okay. You, I, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this, but, you know, Lucas Nyang, Prince Tegawanogo, like, do you notice guys with cool names get a bump early on, you know, before people have actually watched the film? <laughs> <laughs> well, the coolest names are actually almost always nicknames. Um, oh, okay. So okay. Like, like, <laughs> like, yeah, like, like uh, Greedy Williams or Ha Ha Clinton mm. Dix. Um, I, yeah, when I collect data, I look at some of the names that pop up, and I, I always try to keep a list of this, the, like, all-name team. And uh, there mm. was one guy that came through that um, he doesn't have a crazy name. <laughs> But uh, there was a guy who I don't think he's going to get drafted. I'm not even sure if he'll, make a, if he'll get signed by anybody as an unrestricted you know, free agent. But, um, but uh, his name is Bill Murray. He's a defensive lineman from William & Mary. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah. 
So, so there's some good names out there. I, I don't think there's any, any case to be made that, that uh, the best names get drafted early. Yeah, I, I, um, I, when I was coaching at South Coast State, we, we had a highlight film sent to us one time, and it was a kid named Nick Nolte. <laughs> oh, wow. oh, this is awesome. Yeah, you can't make that up. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but um, so on the interior line, the names are kind of boring. But uh, if they wanted to go guard in round three, uh, uh, Damian Lewis, another LSU guy, Jonah Jackson from Ohio State, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and call Ben Barsh from St. John's uh, a, a guard, even though he played tackle at St. John's. Uh, what are the odds of one of those uh, guys being around at, at pick 65? Um, so I feel pretty good about all those guys. Um, Jonah Jackson and Damian Lewis are my fifth and sixth ranked guards. Um, and I have them kind of both in the mid to late round three area. Um, okay. So I think you could definitely get them uh, at, at 65 potentially. I feel pretty good about, about that right now. Um, and then as far as Barch, uh, I don't think – I think that drafting him at, at, at 33 – or sorry, at 65 would be – well, 33 would be – it wouldn't be great either. But, but um, I think at 65, it, it's maybe a little bit rich by maybe like a round. Um, so mm-hmm. maybe when their pick comes around, I think at 107, which is the, the first pick after the, the supplemental picks of the third round for the Bengals, I think that's mm-hmm. potentially more of a landing spot for him. He's also a developmental guy. So if you're looking for the players that are going to play right away, some of these guys – you know, I don't think necessarily Bobby Hart is going away this year is what I'm saying, which disappoints <laughs> me as much as anybody. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I think we've got to look at things that way and realize that, uh, especially picking at 33, you want to get a starter in the first and second round. I think in the third round, you're probably getting a year one starter, maybe not a, D one, or a day one starter, um, but yeah, we got to realize that because I, I see that as a reaction to not only my mock drafts, but other mock drafts like, you know, somebody takes a, a running back in the fifth round and you're like, oh, we don't need a running back. Well, it's the fifth round. We need everything. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like everybody needs everything. Like, like you know, at that point, you're, you're really taking potential, you know, and, and hoping to strike gold with, with guys. Um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of the second round running back, but I'm okay with fifth round running back. For sure. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So um, now, uh, I'm actually, I'm actually curious. So you said Lewis and Jackson were four and five for you amongst guards. Five, five, five and six. Yeah. Five and six, and or, I'm sorry, guards and centers. Do you pull them in together? Um, I can, but those on their own. Well, the center class, I, you know, so Ruiz and Cushenberry and Biotish. If you look at them, all the all the interior linemen together. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those are the top centers, and then there's a kind of a drop okay. off until until Matt Hennessy. When you look at mm-hmm. the, the the interior line together, and then yeah. you end up with players who are kind of in between. Um, so the top ranked guard is the pure guard is Natane Muti, and uh, from okay. Fresno State. Um, really? Okay. And, okay. Yeah. So but the offensive, the interior line position last year was pretty weak too, and this year mm-hmm. it's weak as well. Um, so in terms of just when you look at like the overall strength of, of the position, um, it's just not as strong this year and last year. So like last year, you know, Chris Lindstrom, Lindstrom from Boston college and Garrett mm-hmm. Bradbury uh, from, uh, from NC state went in the first round. Maybe there's one other one that I'm forgetting about, but yeah, the, the, the strength of the interior line position, the past couple years at the top has not been as high. It was, there's not a Quentin Nelson in this class like there was in, in 2018 who was a top five. Yeah, there's not, a, there's not a Quentin Lawson very, very often at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, okay, no, no, I was just curious there because, uh, you know, to me, I, I've got Lewis and Jackson, uh, you know, I, I put them basically right behind Riz and uh, Cushenberry in terms of interior line grades overall, and I think there is a, a drop-off in between, but, yeah, uh, I wasn't expecting them to be quite that that low on that on that list, but Moody makes sense. I know he, yeah, he is he's definitely a, a popular one. I've, I've seen that quite a bit. Um, now, getting back to uh, some skill players, uh, and I hate that term. I can't believe I used it, but that's all right. Uh, at wide receiver, um, it, it's been talked about about how deep the class is. Uh, how how many uh, in, how many guys do we think are going to end up going in round two and if you wait in 
on that uh, pick at 33, and, and you're trying to get a Michael Pittman, a KJ Hamler, uh, a Brandon Ayuk, uh, what are the odds of, of getting one of those guys in round three? So, yeah, so, you know, I mentioned when we talk about the, the first rounders, or like the, the potential second rounders who, who are probably likely not second rounders. Um, I mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, Higgins and Chenault. But after them is like the Jalen Rieger that we mentioned as well. Um, and so Jalen is like late first, more like early second. Um, the next one off the board, who's wide receiver nine for me, is Brandon Ayuk. And so uh, I don't think that he makes it uh, past uh, the second round. So, um, you know, there's a chance of the three wide receivers that I think have a good shot um, to be there is Hamler, who's like a late second, early third player. Um, mm. He's also, like, if you've been burned by John Ross, I don't know how much the team feels about bringing in Hamler <laughs> because he's, he's really electric. Um, you know, if you watch, you know, and if you watch his tape, and I, I didn't watch his tape, I just watched him play live, and he's very, yeah. very, very electric. But he's small, and in the professional realm, you know, there's maybe some concerns there. Um, but then there's two other bigger yeah. guys, like you mentioned. And actually, before Pittman, there's Chase Claypool, who some people even sure. view as a, like a big slot player or even like a tight end. Um, who, so to me, the three guys that are the skill position players, specifically um, that are kind of potentially going to be there at the, at the beginning of, of round three and the, the end of round two are, are K.J. Hamler, Chase Claypool, um, and then Michael Pittman. Um, so the, those guys are the guys that I think kind of round out. And so when I look at my kind of the expected draft positions, you end up with something like maybe 11, 12 guys that could be, uh, you know, drafted, wide receivers that get drafted um, in, the, in the first two rounds. Um, so, but uh, it, could, it could vary quite a bit depending on, on if, you know, more of them are pushed up in the second round. Like, yeah. I could see there being 15 maybe, but uh, I don't think it will be much more than that potentially. All right, so uh, back to linebacker. Uh, so if, if they wait on linebacker, which I think is probably going to be advisable with uh, you know, what, we're, what you're saying, that if Queen and Murray aren't there, a linebacker at 33, uh, in my opinion, is, is a huge mistake. Uh, I think anybody, anybody other than those two guys is going to be a big, big reach there, and I'm not 100% sure I'd go with, with Murray there either at this moment. But um, – Malik Harrison, uh, Ohio State. Obviously, we, we love the Ohio State guys. Uh, team get uh, Akeem Davis Gaither. Trying to spit that one out uh, is another guy uh, and having a, uh, a a stress fracture in his foot, so he wasn't able to compete at the combine. But I believe he was rising up boards pretty seriously before that. Willie Gay, who had a very impressive combine. Uh, Troy Dye, guy from Oregon, another really good athlete. Uh, really, all these guys would be a big athletic upgrade for the Bengals at linebacker. Uh, what are the odds of pulling off one of those guys in round three? I think almost all of those guys could be available. Um, so Harrison, um, I have as the kind of off the fourth off-ball linebacker, um, according to expected draft position. And so I think the third round is a fine space to, to grab him. Um, and it's sort of, you know, I also add Jordan Brooks uh, from Texas Tech mm-hmm. in there. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, Harrison is kind of the, the early 70s, potentially. Um, you know, Dye and, and Brooks, um, Dye from Oregon and Brooks from Texas Tech, once again, those guys are, you know, more in the late 70s. Um, and mm-hmm. then, you know, Gaither and Gay um, are both kind of in the probably like 80, the mid-80s to mid-90s. Um, so, yeah, so I think linebacker, as I think there's definitely going to be those those guys that are around, but those are solidly the second and maybe even third tier of the off-ball linebacker, which to me, mm-hmm. as like I said, once again, like a fan of like an analytical view of the game, off-ball linebacker, unless you're amazing like Roquan Smith or something like that, the position or, you know, like Isaiah Simmons potentially can be. Um, you know, those guys who, who aren't as good at covering the off-ball linebacker who are the, the classic run defender types, third round is, is okay for that. And so I, I would agree with mm-hmm. you that if, if Queen and Murray, and I know people are obsessed with linebacker, but it's partially because it's what you can watch on the broadcast tape because you see them miss. And you see them get, <laughs> uh, yep. get, um, get gobbled up, but you miss some of the other things, um, like when a cornerback misses a, a run fit or something like that. 
but yeah, so, so yeah, the, the, the linebackers, I think all those guys could be available at 65. Yeah, and I think that with linebackers, you know, the Bengals haven't had athletes at that position in quite a while. Quite a while. Um, and, you know, looking at, at that and, and kind of projecting some of these guys, um, Akeem Davis-Gaither and Willie Gay fit into that mold of they're going to be hard for, for anybody to predict uh, because, like you said, the majority of us uh, don't have access to, uh, to x-rays of uh, Davis-Gaither's foot uh, and we're, the other thing, you, know, like you talked about the medicals, but I think the off-the-field stuff is a huge factor, too. Uh, Willie Gay was suspended for half the season for uh, an academic situation. Um, was, what, I, what I've read was uh, sounded like a tutor was, was doing his work for him, basically, and, and some other guys on the team as well um, that were suspended in, in that. Uh, and there was an altercation where his uh, – his his quarterback missed the bowl game uh, because of uh, of, of I believe it was a broken uh, bone in his face uh, after after practice. So um, those are questions that need to be answered, and those are things that we're not going to find the answer to on YouTube. <laughs> so uh, oh, so yeah, definitely. Uh, and and it'd be interesting this year too because you can't have those guys in your facility. So you know, are, do you feel good enough? with gay the research you're doing calling people you know and, and i've i've heard uh i believe actually uh i was talking about bucky brooks and and uh, uh daniel jeremiah they, they, they were talking about the this really positive feedback on what his character actually is compared to the, some of the mistakes he's made um and that the thing with the teammate wasn't as bad as it's made out to be um so you know, do you trust those things? Is it enough without seeing the guy in person and shaking his hand? And, you know, I, I think a lot of times we make personal judgments based on personal interactions. Uh, and, and with Davis Gaither, you know, do you feel good enough about the medicals without actually being able to work him out, without actually being able to have your people look at him? Uh, so it's going to be really interesting this year to see what happens with, with guys like that. Um, I'm just going to throw out one edge, uh, just in the interest of time. Um, and and look, you know, this that's another position I've heard people say. Well, we, we don't really need an edge. Well, the Bengals have three in the roster right now, <laughs> you know? and and Lawson might not be on the roster in another year. Uh, you know, just based on what um, his contract situation, and also he's in, he's in an injury situation. Uh, and really, you see how how the best teams are built. You know. They have really good D-lines. Like a good D-line is a good defense. So uh, Josh Uche from Michigan, uh, I feel like he's a he's a guy that a lot of people have been a fan of, but I feel like lately not as much buzz about him. Uh, is, is he a potential at 65? So, yeah, uh, I think that he, he, has, he could be there at 65 um, right now. So he had a very good senior bowl, um, you know, uh, so mm-hmm. – he, it was it was very it was very good. I don't think he. I'm not sure if he actually tested at the combine. I kind of don't think he did. Um, so you know. No, he had an injury, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty, but it's pretty clear watching him play that he's he's very good at what he does. Um, as a as someone who's like I said, I haven't watched his tape, but I remember there was a play that he made against Northwestern to uh, basically end the game where he looks. It's the classic hoop drill that they did for the first time mm. at the combine this year. But yeah, I think he's also a player that could be there. Um, and if we had infinite picks at 65, you know, uh, but yeah, I think he's one of a number of players that we discussed who could be there. He's like kind of a late second, early third. And that's why, you know, having the first uh, pick in each round means you can get guys that kind of fall through the cracks a little bit. So he could fall through the cracks um, for sure. Um, he could be available there as well. But obviously if they drafted Zach Bond at 33, then I don't think there's sure. necessarily a decent chance that, that they would draft Uche at 65. Yeah, and and the two they're going to bring you, that you're going to use them in a similar way. Um, I don't want to get too into a comparison on it because I think I think Bond brings you a lot more as a pass rusher, um, but I think Uche has some athletic things that he can do, in, uh, you know, is in, in coverage as well that are that are pretty impressive. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah, it would definitely be be an either or on on that front. Um, and you're absolutely right. I, I think we loop in Bond. And people are like, oh, we'll take him. He's a linebacker. He's not really a linebacker. Um, 
And either, either one of them maybe could play that position. But like you said, is it worth it? Because they're pass rushers. Let them, let, them, let, them do what they're, let, let them do what's much more valuable. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I avoided the safety position a little there. And I guess part of the reason I did was because I, I feel like it's a little bit confusing right now. Um, Grant Delpit was supposed to be the next Derwin James. That's what everybody was talking about in October. Uh, he has fallen very far on a lot of draft boards. Uh, you know, McKinney is a guy who is seen as, you know, very versatile and, and probably the, the top guy now. But then uh, you've got the, uh, you get the senior bowl coming in with guys like Jeremy Chin, who you mentioned before, Kyle Duggar, uh, lighten it up. Uh, and of course, uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. had a ridiculous season in Minnesota, uh, obviously an NFL lineage. Uh, where where are the safeties falling on on average in these mock drafts? Yeah, so McKinney, um, I think, and Delpit are the two guys who could be first rounders. I think McKinney more likely, you know, mid to late first round. Um, he's kind of holding a he's holding around there. Um, Delpit has been on a downward trajectory, um, you know, and I think you know. I think like the the situation with Greedy Williams last year, there's some people who viewed him kind of maybe taking off plays and maybe he was hurt. Um, who knows? But I think there's a decent chance that Delpit drops into the early second round. Um, but yeah, I think McKinney, there's a good shot that he's, uh, I'd, be, I'd be surprised um, if he was a second rounder. If he was, he'd be an early second rounder. Um, but yeah, I think with the month left in the draft, I think there's more time for Delpit to fall out of the, out of the first round and maybe into the second. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with with Williams, it was pretty easy to tell a little bit in a way um, because he didn't have almost – I don't think he had any um, top 30 visits, which is very strange. Um, mm. But, yeah, as, as far as how the safeties line up after that, you know, Antoine Winfield is the third safety that I have, and I, I view him early to mid-second round, uh, followed by Kyle Duggar um, from Lenar Wren. <laughs> um, and so he's a mid to late second round as well. Um, you know, Jeremy Chin, who we mentioned earlier, is probably uh, the biggest benefactor in terms of the difference between average draft position pre and post combine, mid to late, mid second, late thirds. He's got, he doesn't have as many mock drafts as the other guys. So his range is a bit wider. That's why mm-hmm. the range is kind of like mid second, late third seems like a lot, and it is. And so a guy that I kind of have a little bit higher than him right now is Ashton Davis from, uh, from, the, from UC Berkeley. Um, and so he's like late second, early third. So there's a mix of guys who the Bengals could get at 33 or 65. Uh, but, you know, they, they just signed Von Bell um, and they have Jesse Bates and they have Sean Williams yeah. who's versatile and can play safety mm-hmm. and linebacker. So um, I think with the signing of Bell, it kind of, uh, it, it changes the calculus when it comes to who the Bengals might target because they've, they've spent a significant investment on another Ohio state player in, uh, in free agency. Sure. Absolutely. And I think that this is a position where, I don't even know if they necessarily had a huge need at it before signing Bell, but they could have used an upgrade. Uh, and they did that. They went on, they got Bell. And I, and I think, I think Bell does a lot of the things that Sean Williams does, but he doesn't better. So, you know, they, they've got that. Um, but, you know, it's still, it's still an area because I think there's, doesn't seem like there's a lot of consensus in the draft community. Uh, I, I wonder if there, you could get into a situation where, all of a sudden you're in the third round and they're sitting there looking at Jeremy Chin saying, this was our number one safety. How are we not going to take it? You know? <laughs> so uh, that'll be interesting. Another, another position that here's a position I have no idea what's going on with uh, is, is tight end. Um, I like it's been called a, a weak tight end class. There's nobody's, I don't think I've ever seen anybody uh, any from this class projected um they were mocked in round one. Um, and I feel like there's not really a lot of consistency, even amongst experts about, you know, what the, what the order is. So uh, who are the, who are the top tight ends in this draft and, you know, where are they, where are they coming off the board and, and you know, what's the, what's the order looking like? So, yeah. Uh, so Cole Komet from Notre Dame, uh, you know, he, he's viewed as the number one tight end in, in mock drafts. So expected draft position, second round between like 50 to 60. So we call that mid to late, like more like later second round. Um, mm. So he's number one. For the longest time, uh, there was a guy, people call him Albert O, Albert O. Quigbunam from Missouri. 
um, who was your, your pronunciation is incredible, by the way. You're, 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 you're killing me with the pronunciation. I, I sound like an idiot, but go on. <laughs> I try. Um, but more in the Bengals' backyard, um, tight end number two that's kind of made his way up, and, no th- and you know, huge thanks to the Senior Bowl for that, is Adam Troutman, um, who's kind of mm. the second tight end, and he's potentially a third-round player. Um, you know, the only other guy that people can kind of think of recently who kind of had that kind of rise was Adam Shaheen, who also played his college football in Ohio at Ashland. Um, mm. So, so yeah, so Troutman, second, Okwag Bunam, third. Those are both in the third round. And the other guys I have in the third round are Hunter Bryant from Washington, who's kind of a small tight end that didn't test as well. Um, and then mm-hmm. Bryson Hopkins from Purdue. Um, so a bunch of guys. I don't know if we'll see that many in the second round. I think that the third round will come, and then suddenly they'll start coming off the board a bit. But, yeah, Komet, number one, um, I think originally people were trying to force tight end. And, you know, last year we, got, we were kind of blessed with Hawkinson and Fant, both from Iowa. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and this year uh, I think it's not the case. I, th- I think that there's some – you can find some value with some guys in the, in the third round, but you can I think beyond there's some good players. So, um, you know um, – Hayden Winks at Roto World really likes Harrison Harrison Bryant, the other Bryant um, from Florida yeah, Atlantic. I'm a, yeah, I'm a big fan of him too. Yeah, yeah. And, and then uh, obviously this, this being a Bengals podcast, uh, uh, Josiah Deguara, I believe I got that one right from Cincinnati, uh, is, has been a, a hot name in some circles as well. Um, he's a pretty good all-around guy. Pretty, you know, like like good blocker too. Uh, I think he tested pretty well. Uh, but yeah, Harrison Bryant not quite the blocker, but he's a he's a he's a good receiver. He didn't go down easy, and, and definitely could be a playmaker in the right offense in the NFL. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, obviously the running back position was always kind of crazy as well. Uh, again, we're not really getting, uh, we don't really need to get into that because if the Bengals take one of the one of the top guys you're going to talk about, it's probably not good news. Uh, it's, it's probably uh, it's probably the Drew Sample pick of the of the, of the year. You're like, what, what's going on? Um, let's talk about kicker though. Uh, Tyler Bass got a, a lot of praise uh, after uh, after the Senior Bowl. Rodrigo Blankenship was the big name before that. Um, so hard. I mean, nobody wants to mock a kicker. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and so hard to predict where these guys are going to go because there's so few that are taken. Um, where where are you seeing these guys? Are, are is your model even like going deep enough into into the draft to to be seeing kickers? Or so you're right. So it's like very Bengals to be like let's talk about kickers. <laughs> I think people are still <laughs> salty about Jake Elliott for sure. Um, yeah, it's especially probably the specialist positions. So punter, kicker, long snapper, and then I'll include fullback in there too. Are some of the my least predictable predictions at all. So I almost don't, sure. they're almost never enough to have um, to have them even count in my model. So I usually mm-hmm. have a threshold for you know 10, 10 mock drafts from five different sources as a threshold for being included in the model. So it's a low threshold given how many yeah. mock drafts I collect. And so right now, Tyler Bass only has four mock drafts. And so okay. each of the last two years, I've had like one kicker usually that makes it into my data. And this year, that's the 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 guy with the glasses. Rodrigo Blankenship, and yep. um, he has like 30 mocks, but um, he's potentially sixth round. And honestly, I wouldn't draft a kicker or even a punter really unless they were very, very, very special. And if they were, I wouldn't draft them until maybe the fifth, sixth, or seventh round, sometime very late day three. And so Blankenship, right now, I don't think it's that predictive, but I have him in the sixth round. Um, but to be honest, if I'd rather I'd rather keep Bullock, <laughs> and then uh, and then eventually maybe you sign an, an undrafted guy, um, and and then you can use because the draft is all about taking shots, and so uh, if I'd rather have a shot at a position that's more valuable, and then bring in somebody who can who can compete with Bullock, or if you're concerned about it, I think mm-hmm. he had a decent year last year, but kicker performance from year to year is probably not that stable, uh, but but yeah, so to me, bring in a guy I wouldn't draft him, but obviously I'm not making the shots. Yeah, I mean, we got the we got one of the best special teams coaches out there. You know, he's he's got to do some scouting, find that guy. So, um, all right, uh, now uh, kind of switching gears a little bit here. Uh, who who are the players uh, that are frequently uh, being sent to the to the Bengals uh, by the experts? 
Obviously, Joe Burrow, you know, you better not be calling yourself an expert if you're not mocking Joe Burrow to the Bengals. But, uh, but beyond that, who are, who are players that are commonly linked to the Bengals? So, yeah, so people who look at my site on Grinding the Mocks, which you can go to grindingthemocks.com to find, um, have noticed that I, I do keep a cumulative tracker up there. And the cumulative tracker says that Solomon Kinley, who's a guard from Georgia, is the number one guy that's being mocked to the Bengals. Uh, but I, I don't see that as the case. I think it's just a case of there's the kind of pent-up numbers that he got um, mm. back in the draft or, and or people haven't been changing their mocks as much. Um, so in, let's just looking at in the month of March that we're just ending, the top uh, three players being mocked to the Bengals in the second round are players who we've mentioned, Zach Bond, the edge from Wisconsin. So like I said, I think there's a decent chance that that can happen. Um, a guy that we didn't mention, Austin Jackson, who I view as potentially like a late first round pick, but maybe could be early second, another developmental offensive tackle from the University mm-hmm. of Southern California, um, and Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver from, from LSU. But it's mainly uh, Bond and Jackson um, being mocked in the last month to the Bengals. In the second round, and in the third round, there's guys that we've talked about. Malik Harrison um, from Ohio State, uh, the off-ball linebacker. He's a guy that's mocked to the Bengals quite a bit in the third round. Uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, who's mocked also as well in the second round, but also could be an option for the Bengals maybe in the third round, though I find it maybe more unlikely. Um, and then also another linebacker from LSU, Jacob Phillips. Who I, uh, when, that's one of the kind of puzzling things about Patrick Queen this year, because in my early data, the linebacker from LSU was always Jacob Phillips. And then suddenly mm-hmm. the national championship and the college football playoffs happened, and suddenly it was all Patrick Queen. Um, but yeah, so so mainly... You know, it's Malik Harrison, Jacob Phillips, and Lloyd Cushenberry are the ones that are getting mocked the most. Not a lot of mock drafts in the last month that go that deep, but those are, that's what they're showing right now. All right, well, we've, we've come to the end here, so I've got to ask you the question I ask everybody. What is your Joe Burrow comp? So I've given it some thought, and I have a good one that I think is mildly original. All right, uh, all right. <laughs> so... Let's tap so not Romo, the, okay. Not Romo, <laughs> not Romo. Um, so I'm tapping into the Mike, the Zach Taylor tree. So All right. uh, it's, it's, it's the Mike Sherman tree, and the Mike Sherman connection I'm bringing is my comp here is Ryan Tannehill coming out of college. So Ryan Tannehill coming out of college, he had been a wide receiver at Texas A&M before taking over as quarterback in the middle of one of his seasons. Um, and then had a strong uh, senior campaign, and he was drafted number eight by the Miami Dolphins, I think, in 2012. Um, so my comp for, <laughs> for Joe Burrow coming out is, is, is Ryan Tannehill uh, coming out of Texas A&M. I think it's a decent comp when you watch him play. Obviously, Joe Burrow, probably a little bit more athletic. Maybe Ryan Tannehill, I think they have kind of similar arms, but Ryan Tannehill, you know, just signed a big contract and had one of the more efficient years uh, as a passer um, of quarterbacks uh, in the NFL. And, and Joe Burrow had almost about uh, almost the most efficient uh, year ever <laughs> in, in the NCAA. So, uh, yeah, no, that, that's, a, yeah, that's a good one. And, and I think, because, look, Tannehill's a guy, because I made a Mariota comp, and, and people jumped down my throat about it. I knew, I knew they were going to, right? But, like, yeah, Tannehill's a guy who has some people that aren't fans, but it's it's important to remember that, these these are about play style, uh, and not necessarily what the results going to be, what they're going to do in the in the NFL. So, um, all right, I like that though, I, I, and, I, and I like your rationale behind it. So, um, all right, appreciate uh, your time and and joining me uh, once again. It's grinding the mocks. Check it out. There's some really good stuff in there. I was kind of baiting you about the Solomon Kindly thing, to be honest with you there, <laughs> but uh, uh, there's some there's some interesting stuff on on that site. Uh, definitely follow Ben, uh, ben on Twitter. He does some uh, really cool stuff. And the, the graphics he put out, I mean, maybe, maybe that's me. I'm, I'm just a visual person. But, um, you know, the graphics that, that you put out uh, showing how people's uh, average draft position has changed over time, really interesting stuff to look at. So definitely give him a follow. Uh, was it Benj Robinson too? Benj underscore Robinson too, like I said. Very memorable. Benj underscore Robinson, too. That's how I like it. <laughs> yeah, very, very memorable, except for me. I took too many hits in the head, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, 
Uh, <laughs> and I'm not even joking because I don't, I don't make jokes about that stuff. But uh, <laughs> all right. So appreciate you joining me. Uh, we've got another uh, episode coming up later this week. Uh, should be out Thursday afternoon to Friday morning, somewhere in there. So definitely come back for that. Lots of great content throughout the uh, Cincy Jungle platform and Orange and Black Insider. Uh, so keep checking those out. We've had some awesome guests lately uh, across, uh, including Ben uh, today. Uh, and uh, we've got a bunch of, uh, of draft profiles from myself and the other Cincy Jungle writers that will be dropping soon. Uh, so if you need to, to bone up before the draft, which is right around the corner, make sure you, uh, you, you know, stick with Cincy Jungle and check that stuff out. So thanks for, thanks for joining me, and uh, keep coming back. Yeah, we coming for